1: Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast, presented as always by WinBet. Check out WinBet. That's W Y N N B E T, Winbet, winbet.com. Uh, Alex Bertha, you are joining me as you always do on Wednesdays. It is December 29th. We are a couple days away from flipping the calendar to 2022. And uh, we'll go over the, the league's new COVID protocols uh, shortly here, but. Uh, it has not slowed the number of players entering protocols, that is for sure. Um, it feels like every morning we wake up and there's a, a list of uh, a bunch of players who you know, entered protocols overnight. You know, Woj and Sham seem to be working at all hours reporting all this data. Uh, it's gotten to the point that two members of the 2020-21 Wisconsin Badgers basketball team, which to be clear was not a very good team, have now played real NBA minutes. Uh, Aleem Ford played in multiple games for the Magic. Micah Potter signed with the Pistons. Neither of these guys are very good. Uh, but this this is where the NBA is right now. We are seeing an influx of, you know, guys who you kind of forgot about from college, guys like Greg Monroe, Lance Stevenson, um, you know, who haven't played in the league in in several years. And then you have guys like Michael Beasley and Iman Schumper like beating down the doors of the league, trying to get back in, and it hasn't happened yet.
2: Yeah, Jamal Crawford is just like I I don't want to say passive aggressively tweeting, but he's just like feels so great for everyone that's getting a shot. <laughs> it's
1: it's definitely aggressive. I don't even think it's passive.
2: <laughs> uh isaiah thomas was doing the same thing uh but uh yeah so it's it's pretty interesting it'd be fun if it didn't suck so much i guess you know like in in an alternate universe where there was i guess somewhere where we could see all these guys play again that you know wasn't like uh, a, a mix of overseas and the g league it'd be more fun but um i think i saw a tweet that like over 500 players have already played in an nba game and we i mean we might get you know, five fifty, six hundred by the end of the year, which is insane, considering that there are maybe three hundred relevant players in the NBA.
1: Uh, relevant, I think, is putting it lightly. I, would, I mean, yeah. There's some people that would argue there's like forty relevant players in the <laughs> NBA, but yeah, we're we're kind of operating on a different scale here. So I mentioned the new protocols; those went into effect uh, officially earlier this week. Yeah, uh, you, know, you, you kind of have to like really read up on everything to to get the full details here, but. In layman's terms, essentially, players can now uh, you know, pass through protocols in six days rather than the previous 10 days. So the goal there, of course, is to get players uh, who test positive back on the court as soon as possible. And my understanding of this, and please correct me if I'm wrong or if you've read better information than I have, is that you know, players can still test out at any point. So if it's a false positive or you know, you, you just had, for whatever reason, like a trace amount of the virus in your system and then the next day you have none and you're able to return two negative tests within 24 hours, it's not like you have to wait six days. You could test out after two hours, you know, in theory. Um, but essentially now the, the league is, is following the CDC and, and new evidence, I guess, for lack of a better term, that after six days, you know, if, if you are a vaccinated and preferably boosted individual, which most of the league is, uh, according to the league, at least, um, there's there are not enough like virus particles, if that's the right term, in your system After six days that, you know, you're no longer considered contagious or at risk of spreading the virus. Am I understanding that correctly?
2: That's that's what I gathered from what I read. Uh, So, yeah, it just seems like they assume that, you know, if you're boosted, I mean, they're, you know, they're getting to the point where it's like they're testing more and they're eventually going to keep loosening the protocols. And uh, they're gonna get to a point where it's like, well, we're testing these guys every day, but we keep losing our protocols. I just think it's it's going to a point where they're. I don't want I don't know if they're gonna stop testing, but there's a, there's a point in which kind of those two lines meet, right? Where it's like we're testing all the time and we're doing less about it. So why are we even? You know why are yeah. we even doing this? Um. But yeah, I mean, it's not you know. So on, on a positive note, I guess if you got guys going into COVID protocols on your fantasy team. There's a chance they're out, you know, there's a greater chance they're out in five days um, than, like, two weeks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we still don't have a ton of transparency. I think that's what's the most frustrating thing for fantasy. Um, because, it, you know, for a while, it, you know, we were kind of on Roto-Wire even. We were like, all right, we'll mark everybody out for, I guess, like, seven to ten days. And then certain guys would return faster. Other guys would be in protocols for, like, 13 days. It felt like Zach Levine was, was out for, like, a full month. Uh, so there, there was still, you know, kind of a lot of gray area. But at, at least now, you know, it seems like the league, for better or for worse, is almost, you know, really doing what it can to accelerate uh, that timetable. And I, I, honestly, I, the, the fact that the CDC came out and said this, I think they, the CDC, really bailed out the NBA here, right? Like, obviously, I think the NBA would have loved to have done this sooner. But now you can say, hey, this is what the CDC is telling us to do. We're just following them.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say what was going, what the CDC is. I, I don't know why they said that. It could be new information. It could be, you know, pressure from business people to make sure the country doesn't shut down again. I'm not an expert, and I don't want to read too much into like the politics of it. But these, the CDC did, in fact, bail out the NBA with this one.
1: Yeah, I, I know, like the CEO of Delta Airlines uh, was, was like publicly putting some pressure on the CDC. So yeah, I don't, I don't know that they came to this decision, you know, 100% uh, on their own volition, but. Either way, uh, you know, on the whole, I, I think it's good for the NBA and for fantasy basketball. Um, I, I mean, I think the biggest short-term implication is guys who entered protocols during the previous, uh, you know, 10-day mandate can now clear earlier than we thought. So guys who, you know, entered protocols on Christmas Day and we thought would be out through, like, the first week of January, you know, now we're seeing guys like that be cleared earlier. Like Reggie Jackson, for example, cleared protocols today. Uh, we initially thought, like, as of two days ago, he was expected to miss the next three games. He's still not gonna to play tonight uh, due to conditioning, but you know, he's now gonna be back a game or two sooner than expected. So overall, I think that's good news. I I, I wanna know, like, for, for your individual season-long leagues, like how is this going over? Um, yeah, you know, in one of my leagues yesterday there was a lengthy discussion about adding another IR spot mid season, and it was kind of split 50-50 as to whether that should be allowed. Um, like have, have you have you had any kind of specific situations that, that have come up in any of your leagues or, or any leagues where you're disproportionately affected or not affected by this
2: uh no not really just because i think most of the leagues that i'm in you're also in for the most part like our our big keeper league and our stake league and all that that's true and there haven't really been any discussions in those leagues uh which are mostly like internal rotowire leagues about you know adding anything but we're also sort of like the uh the minority of like you know, diehard fantasy players who like would never consider changing anything like that. So I feel like it's just going unspoken that we're going to keep everything the same um, or it gets shut down quickly if someone brings it up. So in, right. in my other leagues, no, I mean, there hasn't, no one's really mentioned it. Although obviously more IR would be, I guess, right. beneficial.
1: I, I will say I took a peek at James Anderson's roster in our keeper league the other day. And he, I think he only had like four players with uh with an injury or a COVID tag. And I had 14, Uh, coincidentally, James James took over first place in that league this past week. Uh, so yeah, I I mean, part of it is he, he happened to have guys like, you know, Chris Paul, who, you know, the Suns essentially until earlier this week had pretty much avoided COVID the jazz have had good luck on that front. Um, so part of it is, you know, just which teams are are doing better, uh, at avoiding outbreaks, but obviously there's no way you could have planned for that, uh, coming into the year. I, I don't think we ever expected to be in this position. How has it affected your your DFS playing? Like, have you have you found yourself playing more or less? Have you been you know more into it? More opportunities to find value with all these random guys coming up?
2: I pretty much gave up on DFS like two three <laughs> weeks into the season. I mean, seriously, I was like, I'm not dealing with this. It's just yeah. too many random guys get ruled out. I mean, like you know, we have the projections to account for a lot of this stuff, and I would trust it for the most part. But just like I don't have the mental energy to be like, yeah, do I play a lean Ford today? You know, oh, yeah, Hassani, Gravit. I, You know, I decided to play him today. He goes out mid-game due to protocol, stuff like that. It's just like I I don't want to deal with it.
1: Yeah, it's especially hard. I, I've, I've still been playing, like, a lot of smaller slates, you know, when you have, at least in theory, a little more um, or a little less variance, I should say. But, you know, before before today's Spurs Heat game got canceled, it's like we're going through and we're like we had a, some guy named Eric Holman. Eric with an A. Never heard of this guy. He signed <laughs> with the Heat like four hours ago. We had a projected for like 32 minutes because they were they were down to at one point seven guys and then got up to eight. Um, and then there's no guarantee that that's how it's going to play out. You know, we don't we don't want to disproportionately, you know, throw through like, all right, they're going to play Tyler Hero 48 minutes. They might do that, but they also might play it evenly and, you know, try not to overwork guys like I don't know. I, I think in theory there's a lot of opportunity for value, but especially with some of these 10 day hardship guys. Yeah, there's been times where we didn't even find out until, you know, right before game time or or sometimes even during the game that, you know, they're bringing in these 10 day hardship players. And then some of those guys won't even make it through protocols. And I I read earlier, that's, that's essentially what led to the Miami game being postponed tonight was the heat had guys ready to play replacement players. But then when they reported to the team, they tested positive for COVID.
2: (laughs) They all had COVID. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if 25 percent of the NBA has dealt with protocols like within the last two weeks, you just figure if you grab, uh, you know, 10 people from the population that two of them and uh, you test them, uh, you know, like, like you try, they just try to bring guys in. Of course, they're going to test positive, some of them. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm with you. If I was going to play, it'd be like on the one game slate, you know, like the showdowns or whatever, you know, different sites call them or smaller ones. Because if you're trying to deal with this on a 12 gamer, I yeah, I madness.
1: Yeah, 100 percent agree. Uh, I, so I did get my booster shot yesterday, struggling a little bit. I, I got okay. it yesterday afternoon felt totally fine all, all night. You know, thought I was kind of in the clear. Woke up this morning. Not, not in good shape. Did, did you have any side effects?
2: Yeah, uh, not too bad. I just kind of felt like a little off for the rest yeah. of the day after I got mine. And then like right before bed, I got some like cold. I got like very I got like the chills. But then when I woke yeah. up the next day, I was mostly fine.
1: Okay. Uh, you, you must have a better body than me. I, I, I'm in shambles. <laughs> I, like, this morning I was just like, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of bed after this. Right. Um, but yeah, they, I'm also like extremely, extremely afraid of shots in general. So like they're asking, like she gave me the shot, you know, after a lot of negotiations, like a couple of like false starts, right? Like, no, 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 just wait, just wait. <laughs> and finally she's like, I, I have other people waiting, <laughs> you know, like I need to do this now. Um, so I, I, I bit the bullet and, and got the shot. And she's like, all right, well, are you feeling dizzy or anything at all? And I'm like, Honestly, yes, but I, I think it's only because I was so nervous. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to end up in the hospital here because people think I have some sort of like reaction to the vaccine. When it's like, in fact, my reaction is to the process of getting the vaccine, not the vaccine itself.
2: Right. You're trying to, yeah, asking her about. I heard, you know, I heard. Can you vape this now? I heard they're doing a vape. <laughs> well, I heard about this pill. Like to me, I was right. like, what?
1: this is this is awesome. Like I've been waiting for this my whole life. I I had an incident like it was probably seven, eight years ago now where like my. I slept like really weirdly after a, after a night of uh, celebration on a couch and like I woke up and my back just like wouldn't move like I thought I like broke my back or something had to go to the ER and they're like oh yeah we'll just you know we'll give you this muscle relaxer you should be all good you have no damage and I'm like oh cool great they're like uh, it's a huge needle it's gonna go right in your back I'm like absolutely <laughs> not and they you know they're acting like I had to do this and after I finally like 20 minutes of me being like I'm not I'm not doing this they're like okay fine well we do have it in pill form but it's gonna take a little while to set in I'm like. Of course, yes, I will do anything in pill form <laughs> rather than needle form.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: they uh, they just wanted to deny you that great total body. I know. Pie.
1: Like, what is yeah. that? Yeah, I don't like I'm not going to become dependent on this. Jeez. <laughs> I, I have always told my mom, you know, like when I was little, I was like, I you never have to worry about me getting into hard drugs because I physically could not do hard drugs. <laughs> it will never happen.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: Um, anyway, uh, I, I want to transition to a man who very bravely this week uh, stood up for colds and flus uh, <laughs> in, in an awesome pre, uh, postgame quote last night when asked about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who I, I love that Kareem is now like his his like career transition has been like NBA superstar, uh, occasional like opiner, you know, kind of like moral authority. And now he's just like the guy who just like is, is you bring in to like own NBA players who have bad takes. And he he stepped up to the plate and, and wrote an op-ed about uh, LeBron's, like, Spider-Man meme post, which, like, imagine 10 years ago or, or, like, you know, let alone 30 years ago, trying to explain to someone, like, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is going to be writing about Spider-Man memes uh, with the greatest living uh, basketball player or active basketball player in LeBron. But um, vaccine stuff aside, Spider-Man memes aside, I, I said a couple weeks ago that LeBron was going to sneak his way into the MVP race and... I, st- I still think he's very much on the outskirts, but he is playing well enough at this point that if the Lakers were even like a marginally respectable basketball team, I think he would be very much in it uh, mostly because of the, the narrative that's been there for the last couple of years, which is he turns 37 in like two days or maybe, t- maybe today. I don't know what his birthday is tomorrow. It's it's sometime this week.
2: Uh, It is tomorrow. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he does turn 37. Yeah. I mean, you know the past, yeah, past twelve games, he's averaging twenty nine points on fifty five percent shooting, basically nine rebounds, seven assists, and like one point six steals, one point three blocks, just crazy numbers from shooting better from the free throw line as well, which we've mentioned before. But like, yeah, I mean he is he is putting up MVP numbers. Unfortunately, it, it's just the Lakers are seventeen and eighteen, mm-hmm. um, they're just not winning. But if they were, yeah, if they were basically like top three seed, then right there'd be like a very legitimate discussion going on. Like it'd be leading every single, you know, first take Mm -hmm. or whatever.
1: So they're not going to get into the top three, you know, Golden State, Phoenix, Utah are kind of on a tier of their own before you get to the Memphis, Denver, Clippers, Lakers, Mavericks. And then there's a few other teams that you can maybe add to that tier. We'll we'll get to that later, but you know, the Lakers lost five in a row and you still are in seventh place in the West. Like it's not that crazy that, you know, within a couple of weeks here, if things break, right. You know, they could very easily be fourth or, or fifth. You know, they could they could be fifth you know by the end of the week in the Western Conference. So the question is like, you know, how how like how much of a train wreck, I guess, are the Lakers allowed to be and for LeBron to still be in this? Because, you know, we expect Milwaukee to be really good, you know, Golden State right now, best team in the league. You know, it's not a problem for them. So when you're talking about Curry and Giannis's MVP candidacy, you know, the team success is a big part of it. But Again, we we saw this narrative creep up last year. Before LeBron got hurt, I, I really think that he had a really good chance to steal that MVP from Nikola Jokic, deserving or not. There was enough momentum around this, like, how is he doing this at age 36 narrative? And, like, I would argue that he's playing better and he's playing more minutes, which there are some guys when you're saying, like, okay, well, this guy's playing 40 minutes a game. No wonder he's putting up such big numbers. With LeBron, I think the minutes almost help him, even though those, those minutes are helping him put up bigger stats because of his age, I think the minutes, like, add to the achievement. So if the Lakers can like, get their act together even, like, 40% compared to where they are right now, like, you you know the Ramona Shelburne's and Dave McMenamins of the world are going to start beating that drum again.
2: I think so, yeah. I, I think his main problem at that point will then be beating out Nikola Jokic because yeah. their teams are going to have probably similar records. And right. Jokic is, you know, basically league in the league in every advanced stat, and is putting up, I mean, he, again, he's putting up insane numbers. Like lately his efficiency has been bad and the turnover has been a little high, but like, again, it's like, you look at the roster around him and like, obviously teams are going to just completely focus on him. Um, right. I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I think that'll be his, his main hurdle honestly at that point. Right. And I
1: mean, then you also are talking Giannis and Curry who have, you know, they're having seasons that in a lot of years would be, you know, the runaway leader for MVP. So I, I will admit that it's very unlikely uh, based on what we've seen from the Lakers, but the other I think thing working in LeBron's favor, and like he always somehow finds a way to get on like the good side of this, is you know what was the what was the reaction after that you know horrendous Christmas Day performance by Russell Westbrook and the rest of the Lakers? LeBron played great, and all you see on Twitter is like, man, LeBron doesn't deserve this. Like th- this is sad that yeah. LeBron has to put up with this. Like he is now, as always, separated himself from the Lakers' struggles. Like he's he's like, I'm doing all right here. You guys need to pick it up. So. Again, I feel like the bar is kind of lowered for him where, you know, everybody is now kind of giving him sympathy for how bad his team is. When three months ago, there were a lot of people that thought this was the best team in the West.
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. People are like, oh, look at all the help LeBron needs and then like all of a And it's like, you know, LeBron is doing this in spite of his teammates. Right. Uh, and, and to be fair, know. that is
1: like that's probably more true now than it has been in years past when that narrative has, has popped up. Uh, but still, I, I don't know that it's totally fair.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, man. He's, he's playing out of control. I don't, I don't know. what's, I don't know what the Lakers are going to do, but there's, a, I don't know if they're going to figure it out. Like after the all-star break or they're going to have to trade people. I, I just don't, I don't know what they do. I have no idea.
1: I don't either. I mean, I, Westbrook is the obvious problem. I think, I, I think it's hard to quantify because the stats look okay. And, you know, lately he's had, he's had more like decent games and he's had like horrific games. I mean, Christmas day was, was tough but I mean yet you still had a triple double in that game and a lot of people look at the box score stats and say you know what how can you complain about a guy averaging 28 and 8 I mean he's very quietly shooting 46 percent from the field so like as much of a disaster as he's been at the free throw line and he's he's had some like really inopportune misses and big spots that I think have been have been plenty highlighted on social media like the raw numbers for Westbrook like aren't as catastrophic as you think but you know that that video that you shared with me yesterday on slack you know it was like a a super cut basically of all of russell westbrook's like bad plays and a lot of them are on defense like i I think unless you're watching these games really closely it's tough to see how much he's killing them on the defensive end
2: yeah man i don't know it's just you know lebron is such he's like he eye rolls so much like throughout his career one of his defining characteristics is like passing to an open shooter in the corner that guy like barely missing a a wide open three and LeBron, like rolling his eyes and not getting back on defense and like slumping his shoulders. And like Westbrook is the ultimate, he's the epitome of like stuff that makes you roll your eyes and just get confused and not want to play hard anymore. Like last night he tried a bank jumper from 16 feet and hit literally the very top of the backboard. And it's just like having that kind of a guy on a LeBron team is just awful because LeBron just, just like, he doesn't, he, just, he is incapable of putting up with stuff like that from just like normal players who do it once in a while. And Westbrook is like, yeah, half of his plays are amazing, but the other half like are just uh, make no sense. And it's like, he's throwing the ball out of bounds. He's airballing, right. you know, pull up jumpers. It's like, it's so confusing.
1: If there's one thing we appreciate here at RotoWire, it's making good decisions. And even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with RotoWire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack. Slam the slots or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six US states Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet. W Y N N B E T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top tier athletes who have the biggest impacts on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six month RotoWire subscription that will give you access to everything on our website. Not just our NBA content, all of our other sports, a ton of value wrapped up in that free 6-month RotoWire subscription. Here's how you can go about claiming your free RotoWire subscription. Step 1: Visit rotowire.com/thrive. That's T H R I V E. Step 2: Deposit a minimum of $10 and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Finally, step 3: Play in your first paid contest and then you'll receive that free six month RotoWire subscription. Thrive Fantasy, check it out today. The NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi entry contests, which are now shark free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark free, Yahoo's giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single game contest of your choice throughout the week. Then join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. All right, I want to switch gears to the Brooklyn Nets, uh, kind of the, the the Lakers of the East, but a, a more successful version. They are now 23-9, and nine, uh, sitting at the top of the Eastern Conference. They've kind of been able to make it through uh, this stretch with, with Kevin Durant and several other key guys in protocols. But major, major news uh, last week and then into this week with Kyrie Irving Um, you know, valiantly making his return to the team, Uh, a true savior coming back. Uh, Still has not gotten the vaccine, so he will not be allowed uh, to play in any Nets home games. There are a few other arenas. Um, It sounds like Washington is is jumping on that train as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So he won't be able to play in D.C. He won't be able to play in Toronto. I don't believe he'll be able to play at Golden State Um, and then, of course, wouldn't be able to play at MSG as well. So some serious limitations here, but still. A, a pretty major step in the right direction. I, I think if you're the Nets, you're, your long-term hope is that something is resolved by the playoffs. And, and Kyrie is not only playing, um, you know, in road games during a playoff series. And depending on your matchup, maybe not at all. Uh, but anyway, it, it sounds like he could make his debut as soon as Wednesday, next Wednesday, of course, at Indiana. Uh, so Brooklyn, I mean, th- this whole thing comes at kind of an inopportune time. Seven of the Nets' next nine games are at home. So he really only has two chances to play in the next two and a half weeks. So either next Wednesday or the Wednesday after January 12th at Chicago. Uh, But barring some sort of setback, I mean, he already immediately got COVID as soon as he joined the team. So he's got that out of the way. Uh, Barring another setback, I I think we'll see Kyrie on the court within a week or two.
2: I think we will. Yeah. Um, He's just the funny thing is he's going to end up playing like 19 games or something. Like it's just there's, it's going to be a bunch of hubbub and it's going to be oh Kyrie's back and we're going he's going to play like 20 games. Um, yeah. I, I the bigger question again, like at this point, I think the only thing that matters is the playoffs because playing half your games or slightly less than half your games in the regular season is one thing, even though that's ridiculous in the first place. But doing that in the playoffs is I I can't I just I can't imagine that happening. Like, he's just playing away playoff games? Like, what kind of... So, I, I don't know what that means. for. Is he going to get the vaccine just for the playoffs? Has he been, like, putting this off for literally as long as he can until the postseason? And if he does that, then, like, what was the point at all? If your plan was to always yeah. get it? He's like, you can't bully me. And then it's like, well, actually, I do want to win a championship. Right. So, it's like, well, we we'll just get it in the first place. Well, we saw that happen with Brad
1: Beal, right? And obviously, Beal has not been as vocal... As Kyrie has about this whole situation, but he was unvaccinated until earlier this week. He finally got um, got vaccinated, and you know will hopefully be back on the court. And you know coincidentally that that comes as Washington, you know, issues that mandate about you know vaccine uh, requirements you know being needed to play in that arena. So he was kind of up against it. But I, I think if you're Kyrie, I, I don't I would be pretty surprised at this point if he if he were to get the vaccine. I think the hope is that, it, which seems unlikely, but you know somehow by April or May you know, we're, we're out of this thing to the degree that the NBA would drop the vaccine mandate or, you know, I guess the cities, it's not the NBA, the cities would drop the vaccine mandate altogether. Right. I I think that's kind of the hope if you're Kyrie.
2: Yeah. Well, Joe Biden did say it's a state's issue now and just kind of like right. walked away. So, uh, again, <laughs> yeah, I guess Kyrie may end up winning by just waiting out, uh, the entire pandemic. Yeah. So it's, it's possible, especially if, you know, like if the NBA, I think, I think, Adam silver is mostly fine with the NBA dealing with protocols in the, in the regular season. Like, cause I think he knows mo- like, you know, who's watching most regular season games, yes. you know, you know what I mean? At this point. So like, I think he's mostly focused on the playoffs and I don't think the NBA wants to deal with another year of health and safety protocols in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So when we get around that time, I mean, again, like you mentioned, hopefully things are better by then. Um, but, yeah, I could see, I could see the restrictions kind of lifting in a lot of different places.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if things will be better by then, but I would guarantee that the NBA is not going to allow the playoffs to be derailed unless things really go south, you know, like they did um, you know, two years ago. They're not going back to the bubble, but we're already seeing in the NFL, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of reliance now on players reporting their own symptoms. And how do you think that's going to go in the Eastern Conference <laughs> Finals? You know, if if, if if Jason Tatum wakes up with a cold. I don't think he's calling up the league and saying, Hey, I can't play in game seven tonight. You know, I, I, and frankly, as, as a fan, I'm, I'm okay with that, but uh, you know, there are a, a lot of moral questions and liability questions that need to be answered. Um, I don't know. I, I hope I, I'm not a doctor at all. I'm not on the inside of this, of course, but hopefully we get to a point where, you know, we're finally looking back and, and we'll say, wow, like everybody in the league basically had COVID for two months, but you know, glad we got that out of the way and, and everything can, can operate smoothly. I mean, the NFL, it seemed like it reached that point last year and, and I think has kind of done a better job um, you know, of, of fully plowing through this. And, and part of it is the schedule and you know, every team basically playing over a two-day span. Uh, but, yeah, a, a lot still unknown for the NBA. Um, switching gears again, Franz Wagner. I, I was asking you what you wanted to talk about today, and one of the first things you mentioned was Franz Wagner, who went for 38-7, 10-of-10 uh, 10 10 at the line, four threes last night uh, in the Magic's blowout loss to Milwaukee. Last 17 games for Franz Wagner: 19 points a game, 5.6 rebounds, 3.5 assists, 1.1 steals, half a block, 1.2 threes, 47% from the field, 37% from three. We could sing Franz Wagner's praises all we want. I'm more than happy to do that uh, for however much time you want to. But more than anything, you know, I, I thought coming into this year, if there was, you know, if you had, to, if you asked me to name like which who are one or two guys in the lottery. That you think could be major busts, or you're like kind of like that was a head scratching pick. You know, I think the two guys I would say were Wagner and Giddy. And Wagner has blown expectations out of the water. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that he's like okay, but you know, playing 35 minutes a night and averaging 20 points a game midway through his rookie year, did not think that was possible. And and Josh Giddy, you know, he hasn't been overly efficient. The the vehicle percentage is pretty ugly, still under 40 percent. But he's also been a triple-double threat virtually every night, and and looks way more ready and way more competent than a lot of people expected. So overall, like looking at this this lottery specifically, or or the first 15 picks even in the 2021 draft, like is there a single player who at this stage you're like really concerned might just be a complete bust? Because usually by now, you know, sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, but usually by now, like at least one one or two players in the top 10 even you know, you start to get pretty concerned about. Like, think about where we were at midway through last season. How did you feel about James Wiseman? How did you feel about Isaac Okoro, Opie Toppin, Killian Hayes, Denny Odia, Jalen Smith, uh, Kyra Lewis, Aaron E. Smith? All those guys were lottery picks last year. I don't think there was a lot of excitement about any of those guys. And I, I just feel like when you look through the top 15 picks in this draft, there are very few guys that you say, like, I don't know if he's going to be in the league in a couple years.
2: That was uh, that was quite a few names you just listed off from last year's draft. That was uh... Yeah, Yeah, I mean, am I wrong
1: about any
2: of those guys? No, you're not. It was just – I didn't realize until this moment that it was just awful.
1: Yeah, Uh, and some of them, you know, like Okoro's look better this year. Um, You know, Obi's had his moments. But, you know,
2: you're not really thrilled about most of those guys. No. I mean, I think the three guys you have to highlight from this year, ironically, were drafted, uh, like, right after one another. Zaire Williams, James Booknight, and Joshua Primo. Yeah. Um, I mean, Zaire Williams, everyone – He was one of those guys where it's like, everyone knows he's a project. So I feel like it's kind of hard to say whether or not that's going to turn out, uh, book night, pretty concerning that he can't like find any minutes on the Hornets. It's not like the Hornets are deep. Like they have some solid bench pieces, right? Like the, like, I think it's, do they have Cody Martin? Uh, I think they have Cody Martin. Yeah. Uh, Cody Martin's been fine. Ubre, you know, but he hasn't really played at all. So that's a worry. And then Primo was like one of the biggest reaches that anybody I, like people had him projected for what, like the second round. Um, and the, yeah, that the, was one of
1: the more surprising picks of the last few years. That's for sure.
2: Right. And they, they've, they the Spurs have given him a little bit of run, but he's like been a G league guy. And I just, I don't, I don't even know what to make of that at all. Cause you're drafting a projected second rounder at pick 12. So it's like, I, what do you want me to, what do you want me to say about that when the guys play? So to me, those are the three guys you highlight, but everyone else looks yep. like very legitimate.
1: Yeah, I think Jalen Suggs probably belongs on that list. I mean, you know, he's been hurt, so it's kind of hard to, to talk about a guy that hasn't played in a while, but he's shooting 34% from the field. So, you know, he's he's probably the outlier for me where, um, you know, you, you kind of worry about where that's headed. But at the same time, you know, I, I was so high on him, and I, I think he you know, he has a really good head on his shoulders. Like, he's one of those players that I trust to develop. You know, we'll see if it happens. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Zaire Williams, James Booknight, Josh Primo – um, and you, you nailed it with Primo, where it's like, how can you really fault him for not looking that great, you know, when I don't think the expectation was that he would be this good right away. So, yeah, I, I don't think the Spurs were expecting anything out of him. So I, I wouldn't call that a failure. I mean, Zaire Williams, also kind of a reach. A lot of people had him in the 20s. Uh, they took him at 10. I, I think kind of a similar situation where Memphis looks at this as a three or four year project. Not a guy they expect to look good right away. Uh, but But you look at the top top nine like with the exception of subs, like Cunningham looks like a hit Jalen Green you know I'm I'm still pretty high on him I know he's had some efficiency issues as well uh, but that field goal percentage is creeping up towards 40 percent he's looked really good in his first two games back from injury Evan Mobley looks like a future all-NBA guy Scotty Barnes looks like a future all-star I've talked about Giddy I mean everybody's pretty optimistic about Kaminga obviously talked about Wagner and and then Davion Mitchell I think has been about what you'd expect right maybe no better no worse
2: yeah. I mean, Mitchell's been amazing defensively. He's going to be, he's going to be a rotational guy just because of that. Right. So like, mm-hmm. I don't have any concerns about his future. And as far as Suggs goes, like, yeah, he's having a bad year. I'm actually relatively high on Suggs because he's done a really good job of drawing fouls, both like getting to the rim and just drawing like on the court, uh, like, you know, like non shooting fouls. So that's always a good sign for him. And, he's in a weird spot with like Cole Anthony and then Marco Fultz is going to come back, but he's, I don't think he's a bust. And then, yeah, like Kaminga, we haven't seen a ton of, but he's looked good in flashes. Um, You know, like Moses Moody at 14, that one's kind of still to be determined. Right. Um, But again, that's like late lottery. And then, Is 15 technically in the lottery or no? No, no. I I said 15 just because
1: I wanted to include Corey Kispert, who I I feel like has played enough that we have some sort of an evaluation for him. Um, And, you know, I mean, good, not great. I I think he's been been fine about what you'd expect uh, from a 15th overall pick. But that's also part of the point here is, like, the guys that we're pointing out, again, with the exception of Suggs, you know, these guys are the 10th, 11th, 12th, 15th picks in the draft, whereas last year it's like, the number two pick from last year might be a bust. The number five pick from right. last year might be a bust. The number four pick, Patrick Williams, has looked okay, but he's also been super injured. You know, the number seven pick, Killian Hayes, big time bust potential. Obi Toppin looks like a role player at best. He went number eight. Like, you know, we're not talking mid first round guys. We're talking bona fide top 10 picks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We got like, yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's not looking like a good draft on, on that because you have, I mean, you have Kira Lewis, who hasn't even been that good. Like, Neesmith doesn't even play. I mean, this is like deeper lottery, but Isaiah Stewart's having a bad year. Like, Josh Green isn't even, like, (laughs) basically not even in the NBA anymore. Um, Yeah, it's—this class is—again, we've said it before, but this class is looking to be, like, a really, really nice class.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think last year, I mean, you have two potential superstars in Edwards and LaMelo— yeah. And you have you have a really good role player in Desmond Bain. You have Tyrese Halliburton. You know Emmanuel quickly looks good. Um, I, I think you could throw Cole Anthony based on how well he's played this season in that category. But man, I mean, other than that five or six, I guess. Um, you know, then then you're like, who's who's the next best player in this class? Like, is it is it Sadiq Bey? Is it Tyrese Maxey? Yeah, is it could it be Onyeka Okongwu? Is it Isaiah Stewart? Like a- after that, there's not really a clear. Um, there's not really a clear
2: guy who you'd feel
1: like really, really good about going forward.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, the Edwards and LaMelo are going to carry the class because those guys look like legitimate future stars in the NBA. And obviously we've talked about LaMelo before Lamelo's already one of the best players in fantasy. So, yeah, you know,
1: yeah, he, he might be the closest to, to superstardom, uh, that that we have right now. Um, I want to talk about the standings real quickly and then, then we'll get out of here. Uh, so in the West right now, one through eight are Golden State, Phoenix, Utah, Memphis, Denver, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Mavs. What are the chances that those eight teams are the eight teams that we have locked into the field uh, come late April?
2: I think I think there's a pretty good chance those are the teams. I mean, I'm, I'm I shocked. So at, I'm shocked that Memphis is 21 and 14. That's crazy. I mean, with all the time that Morant missed, other guys were out in protocols like that's unbelievable. Um And I mean, Minnesota is making a run at it. Um, You know, I I think they do have the talent, like they're good defensively. Edwards and and Towns and Russell can kind of carry them on offense. Um, Spurs, I I mean, Popovich coach team, they're just kind of hanging around. And again, the rest of the guys, I don't know what anyone else. I I just Portland's a mess. I mean, basically every team below San Antonio is just a, a complete mess.
1: Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, Portland is maybe the one outlier. But coming into the year, these are probably the eight teams that a lot of people would have had in some order. You know, I think people would have had the Lakers higher, um, you know, Memphis probably a little bit lower. But for the most part, this feels about right. Like, you know, in the East, you have the Cavs who are kind of crashing the party and and you know, maybe the Hornets, maybe the Wizards. But I, I think in the West, like these are these are the teams that, that we expected to be here. And, you know, barring a significant setback, you know, in terms of injuries for one of those teams, like you know, can we really trust Minnesota to, to overtake a team like the Lakers or the Mavs? Um, you know, San Antonio's looked a little better lately, but that doesn't strike me as a playoff team. And I, I think Portland's the only team that of that bottom group that at this point even wants to make the playoffs, you know, like for, for New Orleans, I think that ship has sailed. OKC and Houston never wanted to make the playoffs. Sacramento probably wants to, but never really had an, an actual chance. So, I mean, I would say what, like 70% chance that that those eight teams are, are our eight teams in some order in a few months here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So I kind of want to do the same exercise in the East where I don't think things are are quite as defined. Uh, I I have my teams in mind, but how many teams would you say right now are playoff locks for you?
2: Uh, Brooklyn, Chicago, Milwaukee, Miami, I, I, I guess Cleveland. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're talking like the lowest number possible, I think it's four you know, with, with Brooklyn, Chicago, Milwaukee, Miami, but I'm pretty, pretty, I still have a lot of faith in Cleveland, Philly. I assume those guys are gonna make the playoffs. And then other than that, you could tell me like any different combination of these teams make the playoffs. I I mean, I think, I think Toronto, Indiana are out. And I think Orlando and Detroit are out. So like that, Charlotte, Washington, Boston, New York, Atlanta, those are the teams really fighting for those last spots. So So I have six locks.
1: Okay. I think that's fair. Um, Basketball reference has Cleveland as the highest odds to finish with the one seed and the highest odds in the East to win the finals by far. Um, So I I don't know what exactly that's taken into account. Uh, I I still would not lock in the Cavs. You know, they lost Ricky Rubio looked like potentially a season ending injury last night that there's just still like, they're almost playing too well, like suspiciously. Well, Um, I I think there's a very good chance. they will make the playoffs. I wouldn't bet against it. I just, I'm not ready to lock it in quite yet. So I have five locks, Brooklyn, Chicago, Milwaukee, Miami, and Philly. Um, if Cleveland, Cleveland is like 75% of the way there. They're almost a lock. But the question then becomes, you know, if, if you're, we'll, we'll, we'll agree on locking those top six in right now. That means that we have two playoff spots for the following teams. Charlotte, Washington, Boston, New York, Atlanta, Toronto. And I, I think we can cut it off there. I mean, if you want to throw Indiana in there, feel free. But I think Orlando and Detroit, we can definitely toss out Detroit. By the way, five and twenty-seven. I, I did not realize they they had like basically already clinched the worst record in the league.
2: Yeah, they're uh, they're doing an amazing job at uh. They really are at, at securing that up. Um, still won't give Luka Garza minutes. Um, had to bring in Micah Potter just to yep. give him a kick in the ass. I guess So his, um, his old
1: nemesis from the Big Ten.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I love Charlotte because, you know, Lamelo's great. They have a—I think they have a team concept that, like, makes sense. They have a lot of guys who can handle the ball. They're great on offense, obviously. Their defense is trash. Um, Washington, I don't even know what to make of them anymore. Kyle Kuzma stopped rebounding. Bradley Beal can't shoot threes anymore. Spencer Dinwiddie was awful for, like, a month straight. Now is good again. I, I just—I have no idea what to make of them. So, like, kind of out of default, I just want to say, like, Boston and, and Atlanta— because I think they have the most like pure talent. But I, again, they haven't like given us a lot of reason to have faith in them this season.
1: Yeah. Boston and Atlanta are the two teams I would point to. I think a lot of it is just recent history. Those teams make the playoffs and Atlanta was in the East finals last year. Like it's hard to imagine that they'll actually finish 11th in the Eastern conference. But yeah, I, I mean, we have enough of a sample now and, and, you know, Atlanta's hit hard by Covid right now, but Charlotte was hit hard a couple of weeks ago. Like every team it seems like has been affected relatively equally that you can't say, like, oh, Atlanta's actually the third best team, but you know they'll they'll eventually get there. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's almost an equal chance for all of those teams. You know, Toronto may be lagging a little bit behind just because they don't really seem like they they know exactly what they want to do with this team. But I, I think, you know, we're so we're essentially talking six teams for two playoff spots. And it's pretty hard to to make a convincing argument for why,
2: Team A and Team B are way better than the other four. Right. Well, I do think. I mean, of these teams, Atlanta probably has the best ways to get better at the trade deadline, right? Like they have the most yeah. talent to offer other teams to try. Like they could offer all their young guys for Bradley Beal for, for Washington. Like I. So you know, Washington doesn't really have a move to get better. I don't think, and I. I, I don't know if any other teams do. So. I think there is a chance Atlanta does something really aggressive because um, they know they already have something like special and Trey Young. Don't want to waste too much of that. So, you know, we can't project that for certain, but it would not surprise me at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, all these teams have flexibility to, to some degree. I mean, New York, after, you know, blowing basically their entire salary cap on like mid level free agents this summer, just doesn't have a ton to work with. But, you know, like Charlotte's been a team that's that's, you know, been a potential Miles Turner destination. Um uh, Sabonis could, could certainly be on the move, Lavert, guys like that, you know, McCollum maybe. But if, if you're a team like Boston, like you're not getting Sabonis giving up nothing. You, you don't just get to add that guy to your team. Like if you're bringing in someone like that, you're, you're sending out pretty significant assets. And, you know, I, I think you're right that Atlanta has guys like Jalen Johnson and Cam Reddish and, and maybe even Kevin Herter that you could send out. But I, I think Toronto probably of all these teams is the one that has like the closest thing to like blue chip young players. You know, if, if, right. if Toronto really wants to make a splash, throw Scotty Barnes out there. And, you know, obviously they're not going to do that. But I, I don't think teams like, you know, Boston's not trading Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. Charlotte's not trading LaMelo Ball. Um, They're probably not trading Miles Bridges. Like, you know, Atlanta's not trading Trey Young. Like, if you're not giving up those guys, like, you're probably not getting a super splashy piece.
2: Right. Yeah, Toronto's like a weird spot because, you know, they're they're kind of rebuilding. But also Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam are both 27. Um, and like that's not old, it's not young, it's just like they're kind of in their primes, and those are like their two main guys. So, are you gonna go for it? It's they're a little confusing to me. They've been like that for a few years now, where I just don't know what their direction is. They just continue to be good because they're well coached. Um, but yeah, if you're Boston, you don't even have assets like uh, other than Marcus Smart, who isn't even really that much of an asset. And I guess you could try to deal Robert Williams and maybe throw in like Neesmith into a deal. But is Robert Williams crucial to what you do? Like, our team, our team's going to just give you, you know, who, like what is a team giving you for Robert Williams and Aaron Nesmith? Like, it's like game changing. I don't know. Nothing.
1: You're not. I mean, there's right. teams that like Robert Williams, but you're not. You're not getting something that vaults you from the ninth best team to the fourth best team in the East. So yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I mean, unless unless there's going to be some sort of highway robbery deal going on, and and even Toronto, I. Yeah, you know, I almost think they're in a perfect spot to rebuild on the fly here because you, know, you have this really nice young piece that you seem to have hit a home run on and Scotty Barnes. But I also don't think he's the type of player that you could just turn things over to. Yeah, you know, like he's not Luka Doncic, he's not Cade Cunningham, where it's like we need to clear everything out and make this guy the guy. Like he's almost like that rare young player in some ways, like Evan Mobley, who you kind of want him surrounded by veterans because he's a plus player right away, but he's also not like super ball dominant.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of confusing to me in that way. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see what he could do as a ball dominant player. Um, I've always, I I've been intrigued for like a Ben Simmons to, uh, Toronto deal because it would give them like that kind of ball handling presence. Like if you want to flip Van Vliet for him, essentially, um, and he fits their team concept, but yeah, I, I they're, they're oddly constructed, but I like it. um, but, yeah, it would seem weird to be like, all right, we're, we're trading Siakam and Van Vliet. We're all in on Scotty Barnes as our point guard, essentially.
1: Well, and what are you even bringing back at that point? You know, you, you get a pretty nice return for yeah. Van Vliet and Siakam, whether you're trading them individually or packaging them. But, you know, that to make it worth it, the, whoever you're bringing back has to be, what, like 23 or under? You know, because it's not like those guys are 31.
2: They're, just, yeah, they're in that I
1: mean, weird, they're in that middle zone.
2: Yeah, you'd have to trade him to a team that's like kind of going for it. Um, I mean, I guess I don't know. Would Atlanta be interested in Siakam for like Reddish John and Collins, other stuff? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't
1: know. It's like I I don't know what the feeling is on guys like Reddish. Like I to me, if you're Toronto and the pe- the, the key piece that you're getting back is Cam Reddish, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be like super thrilled with giving up Siakam for that.
2: Yeah. Uh I mean you could give maybe, you know, DeAndre Hunter's in that too. Um they, a con a- you know, like they have guys like, plus picks. They yeah. could make something happen.
1: Yeah, I think they could. And I mean, honestly, I think, I mean, Atlanta is good enough that once everybody's healthy uh, that they, they, I think I do trust them along with Boston, but I mean, the Knicks are going to be there. They're, they're, you know, they're not last year's team, but they're still good enough. Um, I, I think Washington's probably the team that I can see fading the most, but, at the same time, you know, it feels like Brad Beal has has really not played well. And if, if he starts playing more like last year's Brad Beal, you know, maybe maybe we see a slightly higher
2: ceiling for this team. Yeah, he's shooting 28 percent from three. I mean, that should be 10 percent higher. So, you know, he should, yeah, he should be he could easily be up to like 28 points a game if he just starts shooting like normally. And again, like, I don't know, people, people. We're like, oh, you know, Washington won the Westbrook deal because it just got a bunch of competent NBA players in return for Russell Westbrook. But like, I don't know. I think people were kind of riding the high of them starting the season well. Like, Kuzma's not that good. And Dinwiddie's okay. Again, we're talking about like KCP and guys like that. It's just, it's not, (laughs) like, I I don't know. This team, I don't think, is very good at all. And even when Beal plays better, I just don't like really see where they're going to go with it. That was a a reaction
1: to a team that has just like not had a lot of competent role players in recent years. So even right. even someone like a KCP or a Kuzma is like, oh my God, it's it's not Davis Bertans. Uh, I don't know. I mean, last year Cleveland started. I think they were like three and O or four and O, and then everybody was like, all right, you know, things are coming together. That that kind of reminds me of, of what Washington went through to begin the year. And you know, granted, they had a, a longer run of competency. But it never really added up. You know, like the Wizards being like the fourth best team in the East. Uh, that that never really made a whole lot of sense on paper, especially because Brad Beal wasn't even contributing to that.
2: Yeah, and you could you could make the same like oh once they start shooting better the team will be better argument for like other teams. Like if you look at the Celtics, Tatum's taking nine threes a game. He's shooting thirty three percent. He's gonna start shooting better. Marcus yep. Smart shooting twenty eight percent. Al Horford thirty one percent. Schroeder thirty two percent. Like if those guys each improved by like three percent. The Celtics might have like four more wins. Um, So like you can do that kind of argument for other teams that are also struggling. And I think just a team like Boston does have more top end talent uh, and (laughs) their role players are probably better as well.
1: I I will say I don't know that I would count on Marcus Smart to shoot four percent better. Well, Uh, no, I think think he I think his value peaked like four years ago, trade value wise. Like I don't I have no idea what you would get for Marcus Smart, this version of Marcus Smart right now.
2: I think you would just get a different version of him at, like, a a different position, I guess. Like, I I don't even know who that player is, but someone just equally as, like, erratic, but good defensively, but is just a frontcourt player instead of a backcourt player.
1: So on basketball reference, he has the nicknames both Cobra and Wolverine. I (laughs) don't know that I've really heard either of these. Like, Wolverine, I guess, kind of makes sense with how he plays. Cobra? Where where did this come from?
2: I don't know. Is that, like, him, like, like he just waits and he strikes for steals. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know.
1: I, I mean, he, I, I'm trying to look up what this could possibly be. Um, no, but I, th- I actually, I think you're hundred percent right. I typed in oh. Marcus Smart Cobra and there's a result from 2018. The headline says Marcus Smart explains his quote Cobra strike defense.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Well, Hey, you know, you're in the business long enough. You start to figure some stuff out. Um, I,
1: I have seen a lot of people say he looks like Bulbasaur. <laughs> um,
2: I, think I would like to see that one listed. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not even just Bulbasaur, but actually like looks like Bulbasaur is his nickname. Uh, Marcus <laughs> looks like Bulbasaur smart. <laughs> ba- ba- baby Bulbasaur. <laughs> oh, man.
1: All right. Um, I think that feels like a really good way to end this. Uh, we got news yeah. flowing in. Um, you know, we got a, a fairly large Wednesday slate in front of us. So uh, we'll cut this off here. Uh, kind of a weird schedule this week with the holiday. We had guys in and out. Uh, so I'll be actually back with James tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, then you'll be back on with Shannon and Ken. Uh, wait, will Ken be there? I, I, so I, I tried to email him today and I got the out of office. Is he going to be back on Friday?
2: Uh, not 100% sure, but we might actually do the podcast tomorrow. So maybe it might be a double oh, podcast really? day. Yeah. Double it up?
1: Sure. Why not? All right, well we'll figure something out with the schedule. Um, If if, like three podcasts show up in your feed within a, a 14 hour period, I guess, congratulations to you, knock them all out.